Welcome back to the Hall Pass Podcast. This is our season two, episode three. Today we'll be discussing how to create your college list. Uh, before we get into the content, I just want to explain the different types of colleges that there that, that are out there. Actually, we're gonna kind of take some time to explain these in a, in a minute here, but a few different types of colleges. There are public schools or state schools, UC schools for those of you who live in California, regional universities, liberal arts colleges, research universities, international schools, all sorts of colleges, and there's even trade schools, um, which we'll kind of get into as well. Um, so welcome back, everyone. All of my boys here except for Travis. Hey. Hello. Hello. And welcome Jason again on our show. Hey, guys. Hey, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to always the boys and me. Um, so we're going to get into these, uh, you know, for those of you who are kind of thinking about, hey, you know, what kind of colleges are out there? How do I choose my colleges? What do I do? When do I start? You know, those are the types of things that we're going to talk about today. So let's go ahead and just introduce very briefly what types of colleges there are. And uh, there's no better person to start than Punkage. Uh, colleges, universities. <laughs> this is actually the fun part of college applications. Picking, it looking, really exploring. Is researching you know yeah so I'm gonna talk uh, just a moment about public schools and state schools and um, you know nosedive into uh, UC schools so yeah you know back in the 1800s there was a law that was passed well you really taking it back <laughs> I, told, I know I know <laughs> I did I'm, not expect you to say back in the 1800s <laughs> I know I'm Woo! old but I'm not that old um, but uh, yeah I don't know there was a there was a law where the federal government uh, sort of granted you know 30,000 acres to every state saying hey use this parcel of land for uh, state institution they knew and you know our, our legislators in our country is amazing because they know the value of education they know that it, it propagates better societies and they build upon each other so uh, how it relates to state schools that every state in our country 50 of them there's at least one state school uh, in those states you know the bigger the state the more state schools they have different locations um, so th that's the, the reason they created this also was um, you know other laws were passed for uh, helping minorities um, uh, women and other people to get a basic education, higher education. When higher education started becoming more important, mm -hmm. uh, these schools were offered um, or, and available for, to increase accessibility. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you may have heard of Title IX, Civil Rights Act, all these increased accessibility over the years back in the 60s and 70s. Um, so uh, there are some material things that you got to consider with state schools. Uh, there are in-state tuition and out-of-state tuition. It's probably one of the starkest differences between students that come from uh, in-state versus out-of-state. And the reason for that is that you know, state schools are funded by uh, our tax money, mm -hmm. our tax dollars mm -hmm. uh, primarily. And so uh, they give preferential uh, acceptances and tuition breaks to students from the states where taxes are being uh, gathered from. So, and, and some of these tuition differences are, are material. They're very important to take into account because you can have a $20,000 difference in tuition between an in-state, out-of-state student. Uh, it can go all the way up to $30,000. Uh, I know some some charts I was reading, like the University of Maryland system. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Travis. Hope you're doing well in Austin. <laughs> <laughs> but um, University of Maryland, you know, there's a $20,000 difference between uh, College Park, uh, uh, an in-state student from Maryland versus an out-of-state stu uh, student, mm -hmm. uh, and then this this grade, there's, there's no like set set difference. It, it varies from institution to institution. Um, like for example, uh, Berkeley or UCLA or San Diego, the more rigorous, the more tough it is. Um, there are some greater gaps there. The tuition also increases because it's high in demand. Um, so that those are some of the common. Uh, uh, things in a public school, state school kind of concept. Mm -hmm. Now, if we dive into the University of California school system, the UC system, you know, California, the greatest state in America, uh, it is also <laughs> the biggest state uh, in our country. And so <laughs> we have actually two state school systems. One is the University of California, as I just mentioned. The other is the Cal State system. Mm -hmm. And there are many schools, I think Cal States have around uh, 50 different locations or campuses, whereas the UCs, I think, have nine now. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, the, again, same variables should be taken to, into account when you decide between a Cal State versus a UC. You know, what are your academic goals? Mm -hmm. Do you want to go to graduate school? Location is obviously a big deal. Do you want to stay close to home? Sometimes you as a high schooler going into college, you're, you might not be mature enough yet to live independently. Um, you know, budget, of course, UCs are a lot more costly than Cal States. Uh, and also amongst the UCs, UC Merced, there's a, a much different tuition price uh, for, for something like that college versus a UCLA or, or Berkeley. Mm -hmm. So there, there's this tiered structure in California just because of our population density and how many people apply for colleges. 
Um, so that's kind of the difference between UCs and Cal States. And we, we actually mentioned in a previous episode that, you know, UCs and state, you know, Cal States were created, again, to close the achievement gap. And so um, it is for in-state students. It is for the students of California. So students in California are actually very lucky. Uh, you know, we have UCLA and UC San Diego and UC Irvine and UC Berkeley who, that rank very high um, nationally in, in comparison to national universities. So um, we're actually very lucky that we have yeah, access to such. broad spectrum of schools that a lot of students in California can apply to and and pay that in-state tuition which is which is awesome. fortunate for California right, right. And there, there are a lot of great state programs California being one but Texas the University of Texas system mm-hmm. tremendous mm-hmm. Virginia College of William and Mary mm-hmm. uh, University of Virginia they all rank really high these are large research institutions yeah. um, University of Maryland is another good one yeah. you know, New York has a good state system also there's a lot yeah um, I heard actually that New York was starting next year that they are going to provide free um, college um, higher education yeah, for in-state New York for certain students. Yeah. That's it's the Bernie so effect. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Anyways, let's move on. So then there are things <laughs> awesome. uh, like regional universities. So what are those? Yeah, so regional universities are a lot like your typical research universities, which I believe Jenny will be getting into um, later on. But regional universities typically will provide bachelor's degrees um, and master's degrees. The only difference really between regional universities and research universities is that regional universities and colleges don't really provide uh, doctoral degrees, or if they do, they don't have many of them. And so that's one of the main differences there. Um, If you look on the U.S. News and World Report website, you'll notice that the regional universities and colleges are split up into four different regions. So there's the west, uh, north, south, and east. And so um, if you are kind of starting your college list, a lot of these colleges could be more affordable than some research universities. Um, And so if these are some schools you might want to look at, you can definitely take a look at the uh, U.S. News and World Report website. Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, and California also has really great regional universities, and I think it's a very good option for students who are not looking for schools that are way too big, like the UC system, where Cal States tend to be a lot larger than regional universities. Um, and so, students who are looking for, you know, something slightly smaller um, could potentially look at regional universities. Um, So I'm going to talk about liberal arts and research universities. These are kind of the two main categories when it comes down to colleges nationwide. Um, The biggest difference between liberal arts and research universities uh, is the size. Um, Liberal arts colleges tend to be smaller. Research universities tend to be larger. Uh, All of the colleges we've talked about so far, you know, the state schools, UC schools, regional universities, those tend to be research universities. All of the Ivy Leagues are research universities. Um, Some liberal arts colleges that you guys may have heard of in California are like Occidental, um, Pomona College, you know, Harvey Mudd, these are liberal arts colleges, again, that tend to be smaller, the size is smaller. Um, the second largest difference between the liberal arts and research universities is kind of the structure of their curriculum. Uh, liberal arts colleges tend to be a little bit more liberal with their curriculum, which means that, um, you know, students are able to take a wide variety of the different types of courses that are offered at that school. Um, they don't necessarily have to delve into the research that the professors have done, um, you know, at, at a liberal arts college. At research universities, professors are hired to do research. Um, And therefore, if you're taking a sociology class, for example, at UCLA, your professor uh, researched gender roles, um, then in that sociology class that the professor is teaching, you're most likely going to be learning about gender roles and delving into that topic um, because that's what your professor researched about. And so um, that's what makes research universities kind of more centered around research, um, being able to kind of focus on the the research that the professor did and, and Uh, developing a curriculum around that research. I'd also just mention that the highest degree that you can earn at a liberal arts college is going to be a bachelor's degree, which means that there's no graduate students on that campus. There's no graduate school on those campuses, which means the professors there, like Jenny said, they don't do research for the university. That's not how they're primarily getting paid. Their focus at a liberal arts campus is really just to work with the undergraduate students. And so if you like uh, smaller class sizes, a lot of that individualized attention from the professors, getting to know everyone in your classes and really on your campus, then that could be a really good fit for you if you want to apply um, to one of those schools. That's kind of where I get the rule of thumb um, because we used to use uh, colleges and universities interchangeably. We, we almost think them one of the same, especially when I was in high school, I felt that way. Um, but just to reemphasize that point that Vincent was saying, uh, a college gives you the bachelor's degree but doesn't have the graduate school conjunction. 
um, whereas universities have the undergrad as well as the grad school. So uh, obviously there's some exceptions to this. Yeah, like, the, uh, that's uh, Boston changing. College, yeah. there's a name for that. That's, and that's that's this is arguably a rule of thumb, college. but yeah. it's not the, the universal statement. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think colleges and universities, the terminology is becoming more interchangeable. Um, uh, but wow, yeah, it's so confusing. <laughs> it is very confusing. <laughs> there's even a college called University College. Oh, oh my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> now How do you that, break that apart? That's a real confusing one. Um, but yes, yeah, so that that's just kind of that. And then let's talk about international schools really quickly for those of you who might consider getting out of the United States. Yeah. So um, first and foremost, I have to give the the argument that the 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 influx of students coming into the United States should should mention something to you about how you know if you are a student inside the U.S. trying to look outwards. Granted, maybe you're looking for that foreign exotic experience. Maybe it's a romanticized ideal of going to London and studying, um, but just want to give you a check and say there's a reason why more students want to come to the United States. Study abroad is also an option. Exactly. You could go to an undergrad here in the United (laughs) States and then do a safer option of just maybe taking a semester off or quarter off to study abroad. But with that being said, um, there's nothing too much different about applying to international colleges bar the fact that you may most likely be an international applicant and then have to fall under that uh, those parameters, those guidelines when you apply. Um, I couldn't say there's anything too much different about it. I'd say that, uh, firstly, the ABCDF, the GPA 4.0, that could first become skewed because there are a lot of schools outside of the U.S. do it differently. They have like a seven-point scale and they have different lettering scales. So you have to do a translation of your academics in that way. There's different tests that you may be asked to take, though for the most part, SAT and ACT tend to be the universal standard, though, again, you ha- it's so different for each school and each nation that I I can't give a blanket statement about this. Um, What I normally deal with when a student wants to go to an international school, it tends to be like uh, Canada. Maybe the best school there would be McGill. Um, Applications for those are in February, just like uh, most regular private schools. Uh, And then every now and then I get the the Oxford or the Cambridge at UK. And those applications... Whole international. Of course, whole international Uh, university. Whole university. Uh, So when you're going to the East Asia, but let's say for UK, the the applications I believe are in like October 15th. And so the biggest difference for me, if you're going to apply to an international school, is immediately start looking at the deadlines because they could be very different um, depending on where you're applying. I'm pretty sure the best school in Canada is University of Toronto, oh. by the way. Oh, I'm, I'm a fan <laughs> of McGill, so I apologize. You don't know anything about <laughs> Toronto. Um, There's also UBC. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so um, international schools, uh, again, I, I agree with Jay's sentiment about how a lot of people try to come to the United States. The United States, uh, when it comes to higher education, is actually ranked among the best. Um, but if you are thinking about kind of going away, um, that's an option. Yale actually has a, a program, and so does NYU, yes, um, yeah. yeah, where you can choose a campus that is um, not in the United States. Like for Yale, Yale has NUS, which is in Singapore. Um, NYU has NYU. You Shanghai, um, and so don't just only think about international schools. Some colleges and universities in the United States also offer that opportunity as well. Agreed. All right, so let's go into this now that you guys have a general foundation of what kind of colleges and universities are out there. Um, how do you, how, you know, how would you recommend students start their college list? What what should they do to kind of start the process? You mean like Korean style or? <laughs> well, Jay, you can talk about the Korean style, and Richo can talk about the. Let's go the standard. The standard way. We'll go the standard route. Usually, when we are making uh, college lists for our kids, we're starting by uh, considering their academics, how well they're doing in school, what their grades are, how well, how well they performed on their standardized tests, um, and then from there, we try to come up with a list of colleges by doing a lot of research, by you know encouraging them to do as many college tours as possible, trying to go through all of these different colleges that we just mentioned to you guys giving them their options and then separating them into tiers um, so some sco- a lot, a lot I believe one of the more common ways is to split it into three tiers mm-hmm. we have the, the reach the target and then the safety mm-hmm. uh, the way that we do it here at admission masters is we separate it into four tiers um, we have reach possible probable and safety um, and so we try we try to give them a, a broad spectrum of colleges in the beginning and as we work throughout the year with the with the kids we try to narrow it down to maybe 10 to 16 schools for them to apply to 
let's um, let's talk about our own experiences in choosing colleges. I think it would be interesting to go from punkage in the 1800s to <laughs> <laughs> to to you know us that are a little bit more recent. So I, I, I will pass on this one. <laughs> no punkage. <laughs> no. no. I mean, I applied to the typical UCs. Um, those I, I think I only applied to six colleges, UCs, and then three privates. Um, but I, I had no concept of target and reach and all that kind of stuff. I just, I, I went to a couple of campuses. I'm like, okay, Northwestern's cool. Hopkins is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, USC's cool. I'm a Trojans fan, you know, and then I just applied. Boo. Yeah. So I, I had no kind of thought process and, and it was the wrong approach, obviously. I mean, you should kind of have some reach schools mm-hmm. and have some things there that um, kind of make sense with your academics and your scores. But uh yeah, it was back in the 1800s, and who knew about college back then? <laughs> <laughs> it was a long, long time ago. I, I think, yeah, I think uh, I can offer a little bit of a different perspective. Coming from mm-hmm. uh, outside of Southern California, I came from a rural setting in Maryland. Uh, I attended one of the biggest high schools in the state of Maryland at the time. Uh, my college counselor on her course load probably had over 2,000 students. So uh, as Travis and I mentioned earlier, we didn't wow. even really talk to her. Um, when I was younger... I had a very skewed vision of what I was going to do in college. I thought that I was going to be a Division One athlete. So I based all of my college decisions based off of academics. So the first thing I want to tell students is have a realistic view of the colleges. Um, if you don't have a mentor, if you don't have admission masters, if you don't have a college counselor there to help build your safety schools and your reach schools, you really have to have a realistic view. You need to talk to people, talk to your parents, talk to your cousins, mm-hmm. talk to family members, uh, people in your neighborhood um, to really get an actual view of what college is like and I think you need to start there because I didn't start making my actual college list until I was a junior in high school and by that time luckily everything worked out because my academics were were on target my parents really pushed me academically but without that I would have really been lost so anyone out there uh, younger students I want to urge them to get a realistic view on college. What does reach mean? What does safety mean? Mm-hmm. To really understand that. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Jason, real quick, what, what kind of D1 athlete were you hoping to be? <laughs> 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 yeah. I, had, I had visions of Michael Jordan, which is, you know, now my son's name is going to be Jordan. So, yeah. Oh, man, putting it up on the sun now, huh? <laughs> that pressure. So let's, let, what about Jay? What about you? Tell us about the Korean-style college list making. Well, so I was born and raised in what I felt was just heavenly hymns being sung every morning, and it resounded <laughs> like Harvard, Stanford, Princeton, and Yale. Who was in singing fact, that? the first, well, I was about to say, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe it was like the Korean ancestors in me. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, if you live a life, if, you've lived, if you're a student right now and you hear that sound, sentiment and it reflects you, you're more likely to have an Asian parent than not, right? And I'm not saying that in a facetious way to, to, to condescend or look down. It's just an inevitable reality as a Southern California Asian American student. Harvard, Stanford, Princeton, Yale are the ideals. A quick little side story. I lived on my own when I was a senior in high school. I had a part-time job and I remember filling out my applications. I applied to, I think, only three private schools um, and then all the UCs. Um, the time that I applied, that was like when we had the common app and no one explained anything to us or counselors mm-hmm. had no idea how to help us even. Mm-hmm. And so I remember that was when we had AOL dial up. That's, that's when we had to fill everything out exactly. by paper and pen. Yeah, well, no, no, no. Ours was a transition year where you can, they oh, had that option. Oh, but we don't so, want to take, I didn't want to take like, that option. Yeah. Jay, I got you beat. I, I use a typewriter oh. for my application. <laughs> <laughs> you remember those? A typewriter. Oh, <laughs> from the 1800s. Yeah, but I remember getting from Albertsons those 500 hours free of AOL <laughs> and then like filling oh, out my, my application God. that way. <laughs> So that was my my experience. Um, I also had to do some auditions because I did play the cello. That was the, the thing to get me into college, according to parental strategy. Um, but for the most part, if I had to be very blunt about this, especially with AM students that I deal with from this type of background, um, every school has a given standard. I like to go off of the U.S. news rankings. And the first two things I look for are your GPA and your standardized test scores. Because believe it or not, you could cure cancer. You could count to infinity twice. You could do whatever you want. But if you don't have a given standard in terms of academics and grades, it's very difficult for you to get past the first phase. So when you're starting off on your college list, start with the two core. It's your GPA and your uh, standardized tests. And by GPA, I'd probably go with your weighted GPA. They have a lot of different kinds, 9 to 12, 10 to 12, weighted, unweighted, all those different sites. But generally speaking, um, for Korean standards, I think UCLA is not like the best school to go to. 
but it's kind of like, all right, you got to UCLA. As a Korean parent, I'm satisfied. <laughs> so if you feel the same way right now, you're listening to this podcast and you're a mom and you feel, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're probably a Korean mom. UCLA is a great school. UCLA is a, a great, great school. school. I, I, I found out uh, um, my colleague at work told me uh, their friend's son got into Stanford, Princeton, Yale, and got rejected from UCLA. Yeah, this year. So, I mean, UCLA, you know, don't, don't knock we're, it. We're actually better yeah. than well, Yale and Harvard. The reason, why, the reason why I say that is because I don't think people would disagree with me on this, that the general sentiment of a good student that got a decent acceptance starts from UCLA and up. And if you had to quantify that on the U.S. News rankings, that's about rank 21 to 23, and that's about a 4.3 GPA. I think UCLA's 2016 admission stat says that 47% admit rate for a 4.3 GPA or higher, anything below a 4.3 GPA, is a 10% admit rate. So that's the starting point for what I would say, and I'm saying this facetiously, a Korean-style approach to college. Yeah, um, obviously you have your, your upper-tier top 10 rank. Um, when I talk with my students, I break it down into tiers. I have Tier 1 schools, which would be rank 1 to 15 on the U.S. News. Those incorporate all the Ivy Leagues. And then you have your Tier 2 categories um, that go from, like, 15 <laughs> to 20, uh, where you run into UC Berkeley. And then you have your Tier 3s, and you work your way down. Um, every tier has a given GPA and test score you have to reach, and that's where I start. I start from the core quantifiables. But one thing I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm noticing is that with colleges, and as a parent, you want the college to fit properly. Yeah. The ranking, you know, we pay so much attention to ranking and IVs and this and that. But if you if it doesn't fit your personality, if you can't handle a big classroom, mm -hmm. if you can't live independently or you can't be that far away from home, you're going to fail wherever you go. Mm -hmm. You can have all the book knowledge, grades, and GPA and standardized test scores, but it's got to be a fit. That's why the nice fit whatever we put, I'm putting air quotes up here, mm -hmm. you know, the, whatever that means when you research your colleges, research all these, that's why the research part is the best because you're like, hey, what will work for me kind of thing, you know? Just, yeah, just to piggyback off that, I, I, I completely agree. I think there's a, a culture here where we, spend too much time focusing on on the the the, the rankings of, of these colleges looking at u.s news and world report and what all these rankings mean and i mean at a certain point like i get it like realistically speaking that's something that employers like to see um, that's something that graduate schools would like to see too but definitely you know look into these colleges look into what you're looking for um, and what will help you to succeed if you're to go to one of these schools don't just look at the number and make your decision based off of that yeah i think parents need to take a little bit of a macro approach when they're looking at colleges uh, parents say okay I want you to get into Stanford or Harvard but what's the real purpose of that well the purpose of that is after they graduate from Stanford they want them to be successful that's why they want them to go to those colleges take a look at the Forbes 40 under 40 quickly you're gonna see a lot of people on that list who did not attend Ivy League schools mm -hmm. so it's it's proven you don't have to go to those schools so look at the bigger picture not just the college. It's not case. about where you go. It's about what you do, I, where yeah. you go. I disagree. <laughs> I disagree. Um, <laughs> dis of course. I, I, of I, look, course. Okay, so here's the point. Uh, I don't mean to disagree for the sake of disagreeing, but um, I, I enjoy everything we're saying right now, and I, I'm full-heartedly trying to uh, appreciate that. And me being me standing up and disagreeing actually is a disservice to what I really want, which is mm -hmm. I want parents to be a way more open-minded. Mm -hmm. But I feel that it's in my sense, a little duplicitous. It's, it's, not, it's not the honest truth if I were to speak about it because I do believe that the name value of a school matters. It's significant. I just came back from a business trip in Shanghai and one of the first questions they asked me is where you graduated from. Mm. And that had a huge implication as to how they treated me mm. and how they looked at me. Mm. Um, and that's just how the world works. You bring 40, uh, 40 under 40 and I'll tell you, okay, let's go Fortune 500, the top 500. Like, let's talk about who the CEOs are mm -hmm. and where they got, where their alma maters are. And I guarantee a majority of them are top 25s. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. you can pull out all these different metrics, but here's the one thing I want to say about colleges. It's true where you go is not everything. Mm -hmm. It's about what you do there. You could be an excellent student, go to Harvard and you could flunk out, mm -hmm. okay? But I'm going to make the contention that where you go can make a difference in the opportunities that are presented to you. And mm -hmm. that's what I want that's parents great. to focus on. Instead mm -hmm. of, hey, you need to go to Harvard so you can get a salary and a good job. Don't say it that way. That's, that's fallacious to me. Instead, if you say, you want to go to Harvard because you'll have so much more opportunities in your life presented to you as a result of going to that. That I full-heartedly agree with. Mm -hmm. And so I make fun of Korean culture, but at the same time, over the years, I'm 30 now. Yeah, I'm 30 years old now in Korean culture now. And 
I I I feel old, but I'm looking at it and Not I'm starting the 1800s. <laughs> I'm understanding it more. I'm understanding yeah. more and more why parents sing Harvard, Stanford, Princeton, Yale. Because mm-hmm. when you get to our age and you look at the work industry, the workforce, like it'll click and you start to realize it. Yeah, I agree. And I think I think that um, there's pros and cons of thinking both ways. I think, um, you know, if you're if you're a parent and you're having a student who's really struggling in high school, you have to it's hard for you to say, let's go to Harvard if they're really struggling in high school. Um, so you have to kind of find that happy medium. Yeah, exactly. A balanced approach, I think, is the best approach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's value to both. I agree. Um, okay, so let's move on to, you know, how many should I apply to? Uh, when I was in high school, um, you know, most of my friends applied to like five, six schools. You know, what Jay said, three private schools and all the UCs is literally what pretty much a lot of my, my friends did. And I'm the same age as Jay. Um, so <laughs> oh, you don't look it, though. <laughs> oh, thanks. Oh, thank you, <laughs> oh, he was talking to me. Um, but oh. anyway, um, and so but now students are applying to around 15 colleges. The common application allows you to it, it caps you at 20, actually. Um, and so but 20 colleges with all of their supplements is a lot of essays that you need to think about. So um, I tell students anywhere between 10 to 15 is a good number. Um, if you are applying to UC schools, I actually don't count that as part of the number because UCs are just one application. And so if they apply to all of the UCs and then, you know, 10 to 12, maybe 15 private schools through the common application, that works well. Um, please do not oversaturate the applicant pool. I have a lot of, you know, there was one student in New York. I think they said that they applied to 64 schools um, in their high school in, in for college. And that's just ridiculous. You're oversaturating the applicant pool, making it harder for everyone else um, to apply to. So I would say keep within those limits, the margins of maybe 10, 15, um, 20, if at most, but nothing above that. Um, you probably don't even want to do all that work. Yeah, anyway. Bear in mind that each application is what, like 75 bucks, 85 bucks a pop. So do the math, 85 bucks a pop for 64 schools. Dude spent a fortune just in applying. <laughs> yeah. And I would have straight up told her, hey, just give me half of that and I'll give you great advice. Don't yeah. apply to more than half <laughs> yeah. of those. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what are what are some things that students, what are some more things that students should take into consideration? I think we hit some things um, earlier, but you know, as they think about colleges, I know we talked about quantifiables, but what other things that should students take into consideration when they're um, choosing their college list? Usually when I do the, uh, the PCL meetings, the prospective college list meetings with our with our kids um, I go through a variety of different uh, preferences that they may have so I'll, t- I'll touch on qualities like the importance of the program um, or, or the strength of the program that they'll be attending um, the prestige of the school the size the location on and off campus opportunities sports social life if it's an all-women school are they okay with that service academies there's a lot of other preferences religious like foundation so mm. it, it really is just um, a big part of this is to kind of show them there's so much that you should be concerned Considering when you decide which schools you want to apply to, um, I, I, I'm surprised by how many students I end up meeting who are who are juniors who had no idea that these things were even things that they should be considering. Mm-hmm. Right? They just think, oh, you know, like UCLA is known for having a good business program. Like, yeah, I should just apply to UCLA, and that's the only thing that they consider without even stepping foot on the campus so or knowing anything con- about. Let, the let's play a game. Okay. Oh, game time. Game time. S- top three things that you considered when you were choosing your college list? When we were choosing our college mm-hmm. list. They were all wrong. Mine were all wrong. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. I would say so. Me too. So mine was like rank, uh, uh, core academics in the school. Um, you know, but I put like zero value on location if it's in a big city or yeah. small city. Th- and, yeah. and that, in hindsight, was huge. But I, I knew I wanted to go far. Yeah. I wanted to kind of explore it and kind of, that's why I went abroad a couple times and, uh, you know, the, the, the city where I went to school in Baltimore, it's like my second city now. It's yeah. like I have so much affinity to it. Yeah. yeah I'm a Ravens fan. You know, it's like it, it had such a big impact on me living <laughs> there for so long that um, if I was in like a rural town, mm-hmm. like a small college town, I, I don't think I would have had that kind of life experience making lifelong friends, meeting lifelong uh, people, community c- connections and things like that. Yeah. If I was somewhere else, you know, mm-hmm. but that was that, that should have been a huge part of my calculus in my head. But mm-hmm. it, it wasn't. And I was just fortunate that it kind of worked out. Yeah. What was yours? I was, I was the opposite. So I, I wanted to stay closer. Mm-hmm. 
So I stayed in UCLA, which was like 35, 40 minutes away from, from my hometown. And I was also paying attention to, to the rank, how good the school was for my program for political science. Um, and I also just liked the location. When I visited UCLA, I was, I was choosing between LA and Berkeley. Um, I visited UC Berkeley. I didn't really like the environment there, and I'm pretty happy that I chose UCLA over it. Um, and I think a lot of my friends who went to UCLA made that same decision as well. So I, I feel like you know rank, uh, the prestige of the school, did play a pretty big factor in which school I ended up choosing. But I did do a little bit more research into, into really uh, figuring out which school I would be the happiest at. And that's something that I like my students to kind of consider, too, because they should know, you know, this, the, the prestige of a school shouldn't be their only decision um, or shouldn't be the only factor that, that, that uh, makes or breaks their decision. Um, because if they're not happy at the school, they're not going to succeed at the school. I think that's the key point, happy, because and I think, Jay, you talked about it, too. You can go to Harvard, Princeton, Yale and flunk out. If you're not happy, you're not going to learn and grow mm -hmm. as an individual. You're not going to want to go out. You're yeah, not going to exactly. want to meet people. And you need to be happy and content, and it's got to be a conducive environment where you as a person grow. <laughs> you know? We still have a game to play, but I have to disagree. I, I want to put a caveat to that. And I mean, okay, there's a difference between happiness and comfort. Let's be clear about this. So there's some questions that we ask here at AM that I really do have some problems with. Like, firstly, what kind of weather do you like? What kind of, like, these kinds of questions, which, I, I you know, we don't ask them, obviously, but, like... I ask them. Okay. <laughs> my my question to you regarding that, you know, some people don't like snow. Okay, some people don't. I get that. I get Jason's that. Jason's lived. I can definitely in add in, into this part, but you. First. But like the whole point being, I, I get it. It's about happiness, but sometimes students don't understand what makes them happy. Students have yet to recognize what true happiness is. Sometimes happiness is challenge. Mm -hmm. Sometimes happiness is finding that you don't like like something. You endure it, and then you realize, hey, it's not so bad after mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. And so we're giving students this idea, this this ideological notion. I feel like it's the Western forces versus Korean forces okay and, and the <laughs> Korean force is all about that draconian quantification rank and looking at college more as a, a way station not a destination where you find yourself and find happiness mm -hmm. it's what do you do with your college thereafter so it's an endurance that moves forward whereas I feel like like a Western culture what we're emphasizing here being open-minded which I agree with also can err too much on the side of finding what is comfortable for the student um, so I always in my meetings point to the wise sayings of Kung Fu Panda 3. Mm. There's a guy in there named Master Shifu, and I'm going to paraphrase him. He says something like, if all you seek is comfort today, then you'll never be more than who you are tomorrow. And Kung Fu Panda. You know, three. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's a good trilogy. Okay. But that's that's my philosophy as no, a counselor. I, I agree with that. Okay. Yeah. I, I do agree with that. I don't I don't say like, oh, you don't like snow. Well, let's not put any schools that even have a drop <laughs> of snow on, on, you know, on their campus anytime. No, like they should know, like these are things that you want to consider. And this is something that I think me and Jason had a discussion about way before that. It's it's the grind of living in, in the snow with the in the wintertime for so many years, like four years at a time. And, you know, that's something that they should consider. But, yeah, I, I let them know that's not a that should still not be your make or break, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to have to endure some discomfort if you do want to grow. But at the same time, you have to figure out where you can be successful. And if you're going to absolutely hate the college that you're at because it's always humid or because, you know, the type of people that attend the school are just like not the type of people that you want to meet, you're not going to be successful. Right. Let me so, give you an example of that. Yeah. So we had a student who got accepted to Cornell and he was also accepted to USC. And we had a meeting and he told me that he's going to USC, um, you know, and, and, mo and he I'm going to tell you he's a Korean student his parents were very upset about this because Cornell is an Ivy League school Shocker. and <laughs> didn't understand why he chose USC well he went to Cornell for an admit day and it was three days I'm not I'm not saying anything bad about Cornell he just went there and it was a very different atmosphere than what he experienced in California so he went there for three days and he said it was literally 40 degrees every single day no sun and then he said that in it was so hard for him to travel from California to Cornell because you have to find a connecting flight to get to New York and then from New York to Ithaca um, and he said like I don't I don't it's just not worth the the travel right and so that's kind of what he started with and then he said okay. then I went to USC admit day <laughs> and USC admit day you know I felt like I just belonged like they cared more about me now he did talk a little bit more about Cornell and how um, you know he's a political science major and Cornell Ooh. is a heavily engineering school okay. and so when he went to Cornell it seemed 
came to that, everyone just cared so much about engineering and that he felt really out of place as a political science major. Okay. Um, so, you know, he kind of weighed all of these things in. It wasn't just like he was talking about the weather, but really, you know, he told me that for those three days he was miserable. Um, and he was like, you know, and it was during the spring. So I thought that like it was supposed to be really nice in the spring. But when I had to kind of see that the weather was like gloomy and bad for the entire time I was there, um, you know, I was I was really I was really concerned. Yeah. That's a, that's that's a good story, but it's like a word of caution also because things are not what th- things sometimes aren't what they seem. You know, like you can go into a college thinking, that, "Oh, this is going to be awesome. I feel like I fit," but then things can happen in your freshman year where it comes crumbling down. Yeah. You, you got to be able to stand some some toughness or yeah. some some difficult things. Like if you if you that person went that student went to Cornell, they can overcome those challenges. Right. You know, so it's all about you have to have an open mind and make make what you're given you know make it into something good. You right, know? right, right. I guess the difference that I want to straddle is the question I ask for my students all the time is there's a big difference between what you want and what you need. And so when you when you introduced me first for that student example about oh the weather always forty degrees, it's like ah boo hoo, grow up, come on, let's move on. So and true. then you get to the point of like political science. Well, that's where it gets more interesting, but that's where I as a counselor can give some contentions to that point. Like USC is not necessarily known for its political political program to be, you know, a P, your political science to be much stronger than Cornell. I mean, Cornell does have the industrial uh, labor relations mm-hmm. major department and things mm-hmm. like that. So that's where we get into a much more intellectual conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But when you give me these superficial wounds, like, oh my God, there's no Disneyland 30 minutes away <laughs> and I need that to be happy. That's just who I am. Like, that's where I have to draw the line yeah. and say, you need to realize this is an investment, okay? Right. An investment is not supposed to be four years of necessarily joy all the time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay? It's not a sleepover for four years. I agree. You're there for a purpose, and you got to see what that end game sum is, like what the end result is. So instead of looking at the experience, look at the results sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the challenge that I give my students. Mm-hmm. And I agree. I wouldn't be here today if I didn't um, endure four years in Baltimore. (laughs) My first two years in Baltimore, I was really like lonely and sad. And the culture and the environment was so not what I expected. And but afterwards, you know, Charm City really grew on me and I I really fell in love with it. I actually had an opposite. I love the first couple of years there because I love the snow. I was like a California Mm. kid. And I'm like, whoa, the snow is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first year, I'm like, this is so cool. But then after, you know, a few years of that. Yeah. I'm like, I'm coming back to Cali. I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jason's lived in the snow his whole whole life. So. It's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> so he understands. Salt, salt it's on not fun. I, I, I think people can, can have a better idea uh, of speaking on this topic when they wake up at 6 a.m. to scrape the ice off their car every morning for 20 years straight. <laughs> then we can talk about, you J- know. Jay's calling you soft right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. If it's for four years so that you can have yeah, a degree yeah, that's yeah, world yeah. recognized, you're, you know, like there's payoffs. Yeah. I totally understand correct. it. And you don't need a car when you're in No, Baltimore. you're right. So yeah. if I had to recap, sure. if I had to recap, how do you start creating your college list? Um, I think that it begins first with your core, GPA and standardized test score. Let's ground your expectations to reality. And you can find a lot of the average scores on plenty of websites online. They're easy to find. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, you're trying to find a balance. Uh, I like the four category approach, reach, possible, probable, and safety. Um, depending on how you want to strategize, you could be very top heavy with a lot of reaches and then certain safeties, or you could try to do a more balanced approach, maybe four, 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 four. Mm-hmm. Typically students, uh, will apply to about 12 to 15 schools plus the UCs, or you can incorporate the UCs into that count. Um, and that's, I guess the template, the starting point. Mm-hmm. And then once you have that quantifiable list of the realistic kind of capabilities of where you reach at that point to separate those colleges, then you should really consider all of these other, yeah, you know, like, things. do I want to scrape ice off of my car and my location? Should I go to, you know, <laughs> should I go to Cornell versus a school like UPenn or like Carnegie Mellon or like Duke or Rice? Can I go to Southern schools in Texas? You know, hey, y'all. things like that. Yeah. Hey, y'all. That's where Travis is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So so when when should students start? You know, what what do you think is it? Where what do you think is a good time for students to start thinking about their colleges? All right, I'll keep this relatively short. Um, <laughs> the answer for me is now. Uh, if you have an elementary school student, take them to an art gallery at a at a college. Take them to a sports game. Take mm. them to a to a public speaker at the college. You never know what's going to inspire a young mind. Mm-hmm. So take them to colleges. Let them feel that atmosphere, let them kind of learn what they really like in a college. They can start today, no matter how old they are. I love that. Um, Once they graduate to middle school, 
I go online for my middle school students that I work with. I print out a PDF that basically um, breaks down the different aspects of a college campus. How many students are there? It's kind of like a, a Easter egg hunt, or I can't. What, I'm, my mind's blanking. But scavenger like hunt. scavenger <laughs> hunt. Yeah. How many students go to the school? How where do they live? So my middle school students take that. I print out like ten of them. I ask them to go to local colleges, do their research, put it in a binder, what they like and what they don't like so they can refer back to it when they're a junior in high school. Um, if a student cannot go to a campus, they're interested in Harvard, there's a website called uvisit.com. Uvisit.com essentially like to take virtual 360 uh, tours. You can look around the campus. Mm. You literally walk the campus nice. no matter what college you want to go to. Cool. It's great. Um, I'm pretty sure you can even ask questions. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. So if a student, I, if I give them 10 of those documents to fill out about a school, they can only visit five local, local schools. I have them go to uvisit.com to do the other five. That's so cool. Um, Technology is awesome. Yeah. And that then of so course, cool. once you start getting into high school, I want you to take official visits, um, with tour guides, things of that nature. Try to do those visits while students are in session. Uh, there's a huge yeah. difference for me. The most like the groundbreaking experience was my brother went to UCLA four years ahead of me, uh, and then I went to UCLA for, you know after him. And I remember when I was maybe like a freshman in high school, dropping off, going along with my brother to drop him off for his dorm, and then getting a chance to eat at the cafeteria, and then walk down Bruin Walk. And for those of you guys who don't know, it's like the the main highway for students to then go branch off into their their science classes or their uh, engineering or humanities classes. And the feeling, the presence, the energy that you feel as the students walk by whether they're skateboarding with their headphones on or having this intellectual conversation. Um, it definitely inspired me to see why college was worth all the hard work in high school. And so starting early, I think is a huge, huge bonus. Um, other than that, try to go to campus tours while the class is in session, while students are there. And that's kind of hard to do because, you know, most of the time's free time is during the summer. And during the summer, you don't really get the full experience of the college environment. So most of the times I suggest parents to try to find time during spring break because sometimes that's like a offset with the spring breaks of the colleges themselves. Absolutely. Um, so let's, oh, actually I was going to say when we were at um, the USC career fair, we saw um, little four-year-olds or five-year-olds oh, yeah. that yeah, were touring right. the USC campus. They were in awe. They were all looking up. Yeah. All yeah. And I, so Jason saying that, you know, start now and start taking your kids to, you know, uh, football games, basketball games, speaker events, you know, just a tour, um, have a lunch date with, you know, your, your child at, at a university. I think that's an awesome way to get, get started to inspire young minds. Um, okay, so we're actually going to go to, okay, so how do, how do I know colleges are right for me? And I think we already kind of hit this. Um, so to let's go ahead and just talk about biggest advice. Um, if you were to give our listeners biggest advice on how to create their college list um, as of right now, um, what would you say that advice is? I mean, just off the top of my head, the biggest advice, uh, it really depends on how old you are as a student, but I, I would just start communicating, like talking to some teachers uh, and, 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 and leaning on mentors, counselors, teachers, parents even, hey, where did you, know, did you go to college? Even if they went to college internationally, mm -hmm. and how was that like? Just to get some idea of that that world, it's, 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 it's a wholly contained uh, community, basically, these mm -hmm. university college concepts, and I just start the dialogue uh, because... And then the second piece of advice, I, I wouldn't lose focus on your mission at the current moment. Sometimes people daydream about college. They daydream about like, ooh, Stanford, Harvard, mm -hmm. and that builds some type of uh, wonder inside of them. And they mm -hmm. lose focus in junior, junior year of high school or sophomore year or senior year. And, you know, the stand, the standard, as Jay mentioned, standardized test scores, GPA, those are still your core fundamentals that you got to accomplish and get over those hurdles and, and get the highest scores possible. Then colleges will fall into place. These colleges will all come into place no matter where you go as long as you have an open mind. All right. Yeah. So I like that. I think uh, I'm, I'm on Punky's team here. Teamwork is really important. I think uh, high schoolers tend to think that the world revolves around themselves. This is decision affects way more than just the student. Um, so I think parents need to be involved, community members, if you trust them. Uh, I think that's all very important. Uh, I'm going to go back to something that Jay said. And for parents, ask why. So nice. when you're building your, 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 your list, if a student says they want to go to UC Berkeley, why? Tell me why you want to go there. Not, oh, put Harvard. 
-hmm. ask why mm -hmm. there's a reason so work together as a team figure out get to a uh, deeper than surface level understanding of why students are putting the colleges man on the you list. print out these these words of wisdom right now <laughs> you kind of took what i was hoping to say you can piggyback <laughs> so on that i stole it from you earlier anyway, I'm, gonna, so. I'm gonna i'm gonna piggyback off of that and the the question of why is significant in a mechanical sense because when you're applying for colleges you're gonna have to write essays and one of the most common private school supplemental essays you'll be asked is why do you want to attend our university why usc why yale why uh, Columbia, for example, and instead of saying the, the the stereotypical because it's a prestigious school, because you know all the notions that I was taught, you know, as to why I should go to uh, Harvard, Stanford, Princeton, Yale, you have to start doing some digging. You have to start finding correlations. Like, hey, I have a goal in my my professional career, and this school offers exactly what I need to reach what I want. And so um, it takes time. I would suggest that the second semester of junior year, you should be spending at least an hour a week or so, maybe on the weekend, just before you're about to go to sleep or something, where you're just looking up colleges and what they offer. Go to their direct website, see their features. Why should they choose us? They often have a, a website dedicated just to that fact alone of what distinguishes their college from the rest of the colleges. Mm -hmm. And so the question of why and answering that in an honest truthful way in a non-superficial way uh, I think is the best advice I could give all right so to kind of summarize everything um, I think first and foremost uh, I gave this analogy earlier uh, in an earlier episode but um, a GPS cannot take you anywhere if it doesn't have a destination wow <laughs> everyone and let that sink in for a second okay <laughs> Kung Fu Jenny <laughs> And um, and so when we all talk about, you know, finding a college early and finding your dream college or finding where you want to go, um, that's what you're doing to your internal GPS. You're putting a destination um, on that GPS. And therefore, if you do that at an earlier age, like in middle school or earlier in high school, you'll know what you need to do. These quantifiables that Jay has been talking about, you'll know what you need to hit um, in order to get to that that uh, that destination. So I think doing that. But while you have a destination the gps can always change its destination as well so you should still Whoa. stay open-minded um about the colleges that you want to apply to you know that could change um i know i have students who are dream schools were stanford but stanford admits one in a hundred students um and so sometimes you know you might need to be a little bit more open-minded um about your goals and your destination overall it could be road work construction exactly detours, detours you know <laughs> i love this gps oh, man. <laughs> Analogy, kung fu punkage, and and also just that overall, um, you know, start starting early and, and understanding colleges. Um, try to go to college info sessions. If you can't go visit them, um, they will come to you. They will come to a city near you, and you can always look up online um, to see when they will come and do that. I know that um, Brown, uh, Yale, Princeton, they always kind of come together um, at, at, to a city near you. So if you want to go and listen in on what makes that college great or go to a college fair um, or a college expo or anything like that where they'll have booths um, with colleges and you can ask them questions. Um, so that about wraps up, you know, your college list. I know we can pretty much talk about this for a long time as we can with any topic. Wait, wh wh what's Richard's best advice? Richard huh? is no longer here at this <laughs> podcast <laughs> right <Like> now. <laughs> <laughs> he disappeared. Um, no, he had a meeting, so we, we did have to, um, ha he did have to He go. left in silence. <laughs> um, so I just had, I just wanted to go over two questions that I got from listeners. Again, thank you so much for emailing us. Um, the first question is uh, from last time we had essays we talked about essays and and I actually want Jay to answer this question oh boy um, what if I'm just a normal student I get this a lot actually uh, one of the students emailed me and said what if I'm a normal student and I don't have any big life challenges or interesting life stories what can I write about in my essays if I just <laughs> am very normal okay so um, my first response I'm gonna kind of steal from Bill Nye and it's I'm understanding of your predicament but I'm skeptical um, I maybe nine times out of ten, even for the students who do end up writing phenomenal essays getting to Harvard, Stanford, Princeton, Yale, uh, they often come to me with this thought, this, Jay, I don't have a, a lost parent. I don't have a family, you know, dysfunction or anything I can kind of talk about. Um, my general sense about this is to first 
recognize whether the student is being humble or whether the student is being naive or in the sense of being, I guess, like narrow minded as to what can constitute a unique story or unique topic. I I believe it's a fundamental aspect that every person is individual and every person is unique, even identical twins. What do you call the twins that are identical? Identical twins? Fraternal. Fraternal twins, right? Even the fraternal twins. Maybe you call them identical. Yeah. What do you call call identical twins? Identical identical twins. twins. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Um, So I have this scenario. I don't know if you have time, but I'm going to go into it anyways. Um, Suppose you had fraternal or identical twins. Yeah, they're called uh, identical or they're called fraternal. Ah, Okay, so I just wanted to be clear on the terminology there. So fraternal twins, and you guys go watch a movie, and it's a scary movie, okay? Now, you're going to have from a physical point of view, a completely different experience or, or at least a different experience than from your biological counterpart. And that's because possibly you may be sitting closer to the left side of the theater where the air conditioning vent could be right mm. underneath you and it could be colder for you and that can have a different effect when you're watching the scary movie. Point being, you do not have any other person that occupies the same physical space as you do. You have this. You have a very different sense of what your perspective of the world is compared to your identical counterpart, simply by being you, mm. okay? So that's the premise I want all my students to start with and to believe in. From that point, my advice to you is, you need to read examples. You need to read a lot and lot of examples to recognize that some of these stories had nothing to do with a unique circumstance where their family went to, you know, like Tahiti and they did something unique. Most of the times it comes down to just raw personal perspectives. Mm. And that I firmly believe every student has. Mm-hmm. What a great answer. Man, you are, you you are like Kung Fu, Kung Fu Jedi. J. Kung Fu J. Guys, I don't have the best GPS <laughs> analogies. I'll try to come up with one on my way back, okay? Um, that was good, but so true. Yeah. Truth being spoken yeah, here. Yeah, truth. He dropped the mic afterwards, actually. Um, and then the other one is when will waitlist results come out? So I know that college students, I mean, high school seniors right now um, may have still been waitlisted. Um, actually, a lot of schools, uh, they don't come out until July. So some schools might come out now. They may have already come out. And some schools might wait until July. Um, it's really a trickle kind of down effect because, um, for example, let's say you were waitlisted at UCLA. Um, and then they told you that you were accepted, uh, and then you decide that you're not going to go to UCLA, then that spot opens, and then they have to tell another person that they got off the wait list. So it really just continues to happen until um, until July. And so wait, be patient. If you can continue to send updates to admissions, continue to do so, um, but be patient. Uh, okay, so thank you so much for listening to Season 2, Episode 3. Tune in next week for our Season 2, Episode 4. We're actually going to talk about college tours, how to do college tours, how to you know plan for them. Uh, nice. If you missed any of our episodes, you can find it on iTunes or www.thehallpasspodcast.com. Again, we would love for you to send us an email of general topics and questions you might want us to cover in our podcast at... The Hall Pass Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> and that was punkage today because Travis isn't here. That was excellent. That's my best Travis impression. That was awesome. <laughs> um, okay, so until next time, I will see you guys later. Bye. 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 Ciao. See you.